again. Good afternoon. Excellent. It's time for us to begin our Bible class. And though we had an excellent uh, guest last week to tell us some really good things that are going on in the mission field, uh, we have an opportunity today to begin uh, to continue, rather, our study as we think about God's Word in Psalm 119. And just by quick review, Psalm 119 is divided into sections, eight verses apiece. In each of those sections, if you read it, you'll notice each eight-verse section begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it, is, it was originally uh, a psalm, means song, and it was a song, and still is a song. But as we study it as a part of God's inspired word, we need to be reminded of Romans 15, verse 4, that where Paul wrote that the things written aforetime were written for our learning so that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, a Scripture might have hope. And so, again, by way of reminder, that Psalm 119, as each section, uh, while when you read it, if you just sat down and read it, verse 1, all the way to the last verse, you might think, well, it's repetitive. It, it uh, says the same thing more than once. And yes, that might be true, and is true um, at first glance. But when you study each section, you realize that you are seeing the Word of God in every possible manifestation or application. As you and I, as human beings, as you and I, as children of God, striving to be servants of God, as we look into it, you and I get a, a picture or a glimpse of the Word of God, and we're just looking at it. And I hope you understand, I've said this more than once, my goal is not to give you everything that's there, but rather to whet your interest, rather to cause you to uh, understand there's much, much more to get, to give you an outline, if you will. But as we pray, or as we begin tonight, let's pray together. Most gracious Father, we are so mindful of your goodness and thankful for your grace. We are especially thankful for the opportunity to be together as your children to study your word. And as we study it tonight in the book of Psalms, as we look especially at the 119th Psalm in this particular section, may we do so wanting to learn everything that we can learn about the word of God, your word, that we might apply it to our lives and May we live it to your glory and in your service. In your Son, we humbly pray. Amen. As we think then tonight about the Word of God, I want us to think about this particular heading, that God's Word forms the components of my life. Now let's think about components just for a moment. Uh, if you think about components, again, I cannot help but think because, uh, and I never, Jeremy, remember the couple's name, but one of some of you who put uh, uh, pictures of the latest puzzle you put together on Facebook, I always think that is so pretty. Uh, I think about those individual pieces and what that conversation must be like as you find where each piece goes together and it becomes, the last one I think was birds. And these birds begin to take shape and then they, their background takes shape and there's another bird and all of those components fitting together. A component then is an individual part that in and of itself is important, but its importance lies in how it connects to the next component and how those components work together. And that makes me think of 
uh, I, I knew of a couple of fellows, or have heard of some folks, even learning how to work on engines, taking a, a car engine that didn't work and taking it apart and putting all of its component pieces uh, on a big shop floor and then putting it back together, learning, but at the same time then uh, repairing because the, an understanding of how those parts work. Now, I'll be honest with you, I know nothing about such things. I am structurally and operationally challenged when it comes to that handyman stuff. I'll just be honest. I used to be ashamed of it, but now I just own it. The truth is, uh, as a young man, this is the truth. I had to call my father because I, I put a, a, a bathroom uh, door, a handle, doorknob, needed changing. So I was going to change it myself, and I did. Except I don't call my father to come get me out because I locked myself in. And I couldn't figure out how, to, you know, and I just hated to tear that door up. Okay, but, and it's the truth, I did it. I don't know about those things. I see Josh sitting back there. I needed spark plugs. They told me I needed spark plugs, so I bought them. And he said, I'll come by. He said, I said, sure, I'll put those on. I mean, that's easy. Just unplug. He said, you can't do that. You have to match them up. I said, what are you talking about? He said, don't touch it. I'll come by. And then he began to explain to me about, you know, he said, this one is shorter. See, it goes here. And I said, well, I just didn't matter. I just, no, don't touch it. And he explained it to me, and, I, and then he began to talk about how this, these pieces work together. And it makes perfect sense, I don't understand how it works, but it makes perfect sense that each of those component parts connect to another component part, and then the whole thing works the way it's supposed to. Now, if you get that, and you do, think about this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice how each of God's Word provides for me, points out to me, it strengthens for me the, the working components of my everyday life. So thinking about that, I want us then to just begin immersing ourselves, and we won't read the whole passage together, but rather I want us to look at the passage as a whole for time's sake. Well, I'll take that back. We do need to read it together. Starting in verse 73. We need to hear it and then break it down. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Let, may my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Now, when we think about those particular verses, and we think about components... I want you to notice in the very first place that recognizing God as my creator forms me into a student. It, it makes me, so when I read this first verse, I see then within myself the understanding that, that I am a student. This word understanding, your hands have made me and fashioned me, give me understanding that I may learn. Now, 
do you recognize a two-step process there? Do you recognize a prerequisite? Is it possible to know something, a subject, without ever learning it? That's a yes or no question. What do you think? Is it possible to know a subject and yet never learn it? Sure. That sounds like, well, not, not really, because if you know something, you've learned it. Well, have you ever known someone that knew a lot about something but really couldn't use it? And so that's the understanding here just a little bit. This word understanding in the Hebrew has the idea of distinguishing mentally, uh, discerning, considering diligently, uh, putting these pieces together. I'm discerning. I recognize this is how this is supposed to look. This is how it's supposed to fit. Just like the illustration I used a moment ago. Without that understanding, then it never really works. I'll tell you another little short tale, not uh, on myself. I have been guilty. Uh, I did that one time. I took a smaller engine apart because I was going to prove to myself that I could put it back together. And I put it back together. No, it never did run. Uh, uh, I, I knew all the parts because I got that far, but I just ma- somehow missed something. I didn't have an understanding of what they were supposed to do. It, look at this verse. Give me understanding so I can learn. Help me to discern how your word fits and what it's supposed to mean so that I can learn what you want me to learn more fully. Uh, Romans 1, verses 18 through 21. Brother Ken? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thank you, brother. Start at that last part. They became foolish. Their foolish heart were darkened. Uh, they, they became futile or empty in the way they thought about things. How'd they get to that point? I go all the way back up to the very top of that, and I want to say something that is so simple, yet absolutely powerful and absolutely essential, because David prayed, give me understanding so I can learn. The simple understanding that God is God, and that God does exist, and God is all-powerful, and because of that, everything else that he says is without question, has to be without question. Everything that is God's Word must be taken for what it means and applied because I stand in the presence, stand in awe of, stand in service of the Creator of everything. Now I want you to notice, how did these people get to where they were in Romans 1? God had shown it to them. Now, you might suggest, well, if someone asks you, when did you think that our society began to turn away from God? When do you think there began to be problems in our social system? 
And someone might say, well, preacher, it was when uh, they, they took prayer out of school. When they stopped Bible reading. I, I want to suggest it happened long before that. I might be so bold as to suggest that the beginnings of such a turn happened when the idea that God cannot be in our textbooks, but instead we have to teach theories that suggest how the moon came to be and how the earth came to be and how other things came to be. In fact, I can show you, not now because it's out of print, thank goodness, but an eighth grade textbook that said, most people think that life uh, came from spontaneous generation. And 17 pages later, it says it has been proven that spontaneous generation is an incorrect theory. And we wonder why people are confused. So the idea here in Romans, their first step is when they stop seeing the sunrise and realizing that's God. And the reason why I want to read God's Word is not just so I can get smarter in the Bible, but because that's the only message from He who makes the sun come up and the sun go down and the moon do what the moon does. And that's exactly what David is saying here. When I understand my Creator, I can't wait to learn. I want to learn. It turns me into a student, but really quickly, what does it mean to be a student? A learner. A learner. Now, what is absolutely necessary for a person to be a learner? What? Oh, you must have a teacher. But all the teachers in the world have to have a desire to learn. And that's 2 Timothy 3, in verse 15, uh, 2 and verse 15. I'll be honest, the first time I read the New King James, I thought, this is terrible. It's messed up all my sermons that talk about you need to spend time studying. Because the King James says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. What am I going to do with all my sermons? That, because it says, Be diligent. It doesn't change anything because it says, Be diligent to show yourself a workman of God who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. That, that's the study part. But the diligent part comes in when I cannot keep from. I have to want to learn it. He said, give me understanding that I may learn so I can be that student. I want to understand it more. That's a desire. That's diligence. Proverbs chapter 15, Dale. Uh, no, not 15. Yeah, no. Sorry, Dale. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. 
Because, I'll tell you why I think that, because David said, give me understanding that I might learn when I recognize that God is all-powerful because God is creator and his message is all-important, then I'm going to be diligent and desiring that understanding so I can learn more. You have to understand before you can learn more. Sometimes we do that backwards. We want to memorize and learn and then hope we figure it out someday. But notice what he said, that I walk by a lazy man's field, but also the field of a man void of understanding. That word means empty. I think the ESV says devoid. That means he does not have any. He does not have any understanding. He doesn't get it because he's not taken the time to think about it. He's not put two and two together, as we would say. And because of that, he doesn't recognize this behavior leads to negative consequences and he's going to have a field full of thorns and so forth. Now, when I think about that, it reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, when he said in understanding... Okay, remember in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about the, the uh, squabble, uh, the, dis, the, the trouble they were having about um, miraculous gifts and so forth. And he said a very simple phrase that carries so much weight. He said, in understanding, be mature. In understanding. It's one thing to have the knowledge but you have to understand it and put it into practice. And I see I'm spending too much time on this. I need to move on. But I'm, I'm really not trying to be funny here. This really happened, and it illustrates something. I would never tell any names. It's another place long ago, another state. But I knew a, a fellow, or I knew a fellow who told me about a fellow in a Bible class. That, and this guy was, all, was very sincere, and I will go to my grave, and he'll stand before his God doing what he believed to be right, and I have no problem with that. In fact, I... Honor that. But he read, and he was a coon hunter. He loved to, to train coon dogs. And you know, a trained dog, uh, any kind of, of uh, hunting dog, trained, deer, coon, bird, whatever, is a precious commodity. And it takes something to train them. I have some relatives that do that in Georgia. But the thing is, this individual was kind of good at it and made some money at it. And every time he sold one of his prized, well-trained, top, award-winning coon dogs, and he got that money, he made sure, he made sure. Now, look, I'm really not making a joke here. He made sure that he didn't put any of that money in the treasury. He didn't. You know why? Because in the book of Deuteronomy, it said, do not put the price of a dog in the treasury. But folks, you read that passage, it's not talking about a four-legged canine. It's talking about a male homosexual or a male prostitute. A totally different thing. But he didn't, he just read that. That's what it says. That's what I'm going to do. Now, anything wrong with, no. But he didn't understand because he didn't go any deeper. We have to dig a little deeper in the well so that we can understand more, so that we can grow more. And that's what David is suggesting here. But number two, not only will recognizing my creator make me a student, but the hope of his word will form me into an example. I want you to look at verse uh, 74 and see the word example there. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. Those who fear you, God, will see me, your servant, and they will be happy. Why will they be happy? 
because I have hoped in your word. That word hoped in the Hebrew means waited with perseverance, waited with patient confidence. It's the idea of hope there. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Who do I have read that? Go ahead, please. For when God had promised Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes and oaths is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of Purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When you pull, we had to read that context. When you pull that chunk of Hebrews uh, chapter 6 out and you look at it, you understand he's saying this hope that, uh, that lies in the promise, this promise given to Abraham. We know from Galatians 3 that promise is for us through Christ, and that's what he says at the end of that passage there. I don't know why I'm thumb back at the screen. It's not on the screen, is it? Sorry. Have it. But... The, Notice what he said, thank you for reading, by the way, that this promise is fulfilled in Christ. And because of Christ being who he is, and what he's done, and where he is, we have hope. But not just hope. That hope in Christ is an anchor for the soul that's steadfast and sure and doesn't go anywhere. Now, I want you to notice, and I'm going somewhere with this, think about that hope, first of all. And while you're thinking about that hope, I want you to think about Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You are a light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do uh, men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick, so that it gives light to all that are in the room. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to suggest something here maybe a little deeper, the idea that see your good works. Yes, according to uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, especially verse 10, we should be doing things, we should be living. There, there are works of faith, James 2, that, that are part of who we are, absolutely. But don't be uh, limited in your thoughts in Matthew 5 to think that people are supposed to just watch you doing good things. They watch you going into church building. They watch you putting money in the plate. They watch you doing various things that are Christ-like or, or Christian behaviors. And by doing that, that makes them happy. They, they rejoice God. Now, could that be the case? Well, certainly that could be a part of it. But wait, he said, let your light shine so they can see how you live. Now, could that apply? David said, let those who fear you they see me, and they're going to rejoice because they see me living that hope. I have hoped in your word. They see me full of that hope. 
that hope is in God, and now we understand to the promise in Abraham, and now we understand in Christ that hope which cannot be moved. And every time I read that passage, I, I, I have to use an illustration. I won't call any names, but uh, this is my fourth year as a teacher at Wheeler. And th about three years ago, I'll remember, uh, we have a maintenance man who has his own unique approach to life. And I had a couple of bulletin boards that needed to be put up that I had gotten uh, donated or something. And they were brand new, got them out of the box. Had the little kits, you know, the little kits that you put in the corners and you put the little hooks, the screw, you know, had that whole kit. And asked him if he'd come by. So we came by with this massive looking drill that looked like it could take down a tank. Uh, and he, I said, here's the kit, sir. He, or, or, I, I, Here are the kits. He said, I don't need those. He said, show me where you want it. Uh, he said, hold it up there. And he pulls out monstrous blue screws three times the length of the little pansy things in the, in the kit. And he said, hold it up there. He said, there. I said, thank you. Uh, now, I am pretty sure that a hurricane force gale winds of tornadic portions could blow the school building at Wheeler, where I currently teach, into four states. And wherever you find that wall, that bulletin board will be right there intact. Because it ain't going anywhere. Now, but that's the hope. See, that's the kind of hope that I have. I don't wring my hands, and I don't worry about, I don't sit around, be careful, preacher, I don't sit around talking about politics and who's in office and get all up. Look, my hope is solid as it was uh, last year as it is this year. And I'm okay. Because it doesn't matter where the world blows me, I'm going to be solidly attached to the wall that is Christ. And that's what he's saying. Now, but he says a little more. He says, can those who fear you or those who yet fear you, can they look and see that hope in you? Can they see you reacting the way someone who is anchored to the hope of Jesus reacts? And so we think about that example. Uh, we think about, um, I think I had someone, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 20. In the Lord Jesus, in your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great mind, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Thank you, Jeremy. I want him to read all that because when you see that unfolding there, Paul said, I'm praying for you. And in those prayers that your eyes, in the knowledge of him through the revelation of truth, that your eyes of understanding be enlightened so that you understand that hope. Isn't that what David was talking about earlier, that understanding? So that your eyes are, are enlightened so that you understand that hope that you have in the calling that God has given you through Christ and through the gospel. Now, am I that kind of example? 
But for time's sake, let's, let's keep going. When I look at verses 75 and 76, I also learned that understanding my condition makes me a servant, forms me into a servant. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to the promise to your servant. That makes me go back to Hebrews 6 again, that promise to Abraham. That's through Christ. When I understand my place, my understanding, turn with me to the book of Luke. In fact, Brother Ken, would you mind doing Luke chapter 17, 5 through 10? said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and Gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you would eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. When I understand my place, and I don't mean that in a negative you got to know your place. That's not what I mean. When I understand my place and my relationship with my God, then that forms a servant heart within me. Because when I read this passage of Scripture, and I don't mean, please don't think I'm being disrespectful, but when, you, when I read that and when I listen to Brother Ken read that, I, I often wonder, did the apostles, uh, did they turn to him after Jesus stopped talking and say, did he answer us? You know I, I heard what he said, but is that what we ask? You know, increase our faith. We, were, Lord, maybe you misunderstood us. We really wanted you to say, okay, and snap your fingers. But instead, he explained to them who they were and explained to them whom it was that they served. And he said that as a servant, when I've done the things that God asked me to do, I don't have a right to puff out my chest or have a right to say, there, I did it. Now I may no. So where does my glory come from? Where does my blessing come from? Where does my... From God. I rejoice that I am a servant, that I can be a servant. And when I understand all of God's goodness and all of His promises and all of His greatness, I understand that that is not contingent upon me doing the things that he says. Oh, make no mistake. I have to do. I must do. I want to do the things he's asked me to do. But it's not the doing of those things that make me his servant. It's I'm his servant, therefore I do those things. And you say, well, didn't you just say the same thing? Did I? Did I? David said, I understand why you do what you do as best as a human can. I understand that you are God and that your rules are righteous and whatever it is that has befalled me, it's because of your faithfulness or I am protected because of your faithfulness and I don't have to know anything else. 
So when I think about that promise, when I understand that I'm a servant, or, or I understand my condition, that it's not mine to call the shots always. It's not mine to... Uh, my day is not dependent on whether it's a good or not. It's good already. It's a great day, whether it's... Uh, uh, somebody said it might be five degrees next Monday. You know what that's going to do to the buds on my peaks? Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's a good day. No matter what. Why? Because I, I was God's when I went to sleep. And if I wake up, I'm still God's. And God is still God. And God is still in heaven. And I know my relationship and my place and the scheme of things on this side of eternity. And because of that, I'm a servant. Nothing more, nothing less. That was at least a little bit of what Jesus was trying to get across. But I want us now to look very quickly. Number four is that one in verses 77 and 78. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Accepting my place in God's plan forms an attitude within me. Hmm. It forms an attitude within me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Luther can probably quote it. I know he can, not probably. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just. I've got to look down because this is the New King James. I know I'll get it wrong. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, do what to these things? Think. The Greek uh, translates in the New King James with the ESV is meditate. Think deeply. Think carefully. Think fully and wholly on all of these things. Now, Brother Ken used this verse this morning with verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw, these do. What things? Well, the things you've heard that I taught you. And the things that you've learned and the things that you've seen, the example. And the God of peace will be with you. But wait a minute. Have you ever stopped? Now, a good friend of mine, Josh James. And if you've not had an opportunity to see, he, he's worked for years on this translation. And if you wonder if it's worth looking at, I'm telling you it's worth looking at. I'm using it in my early morning reading. The only thing that throws me a curve is that Josh, the way his mind thinks, is he did it just exactly out of the Greek. There are no verses. So, but it's great for reading but it's not so much when you're reading a devotional book that says read these verses, and I don't know, wait a minute, what? Uh, but to just read it and unfold. Forget these verses, 8 and 9. Forget the numbers. He said, whatever things are pure and lovely, good report, you think on these, you meditate on these, and now you do the things I've taught you. Do you understand that doing the things you've been taught and doing the, following the example you've been shown and living the life you're supposed to live is absolutely contingent? It's absolutely imperative that you have a mind that's full of goodness, a mind that's full of the things that are from God, God's attributes, God's characteristics, God's traits. You can't truly follow the things you've been taught or the things you've seen in good examples until you have that kind of mind. Now, isn't that what uh, Galatians 2.20 suggests? Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but it's not I. 
The life now I live in the flesh, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now think about that for just a minute. Think about the depth of that for just a minute. And go back to this verse. When I accept my place in God's plan, my place is to live by the faith of the Son of God as long as I'm breathing on this side of eternity as very best that I can with what I can for as long as I can. And if I do that as best I can, then I know that God's going to take care of me. Now notice what David said ahead. When I accept my place, that forms my attitude. Let your mercy come to me so I can live. And your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame. Makes me think of Romans 12. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't repay evil for evil. He said, God, take care of the insolent because they've wronged me. But as for me, I'll meditate on your precepts. Isn't it human nature? Think about David. David the warrior. David the man who who, uh, slew beasts. With the power, the blessing, he'd been granted. If you need me to, God, I'll help you with it. God, surely you don't want me, surely you, you want me to be a part of, let me help you put them in your place. David had reached a point, he said, Lord, let them be put to shame for their behavior. But as for me, I'll meditate on your precepts. As for me, I'll work on me and I'll let you handle everybody else. Now, wouldn't that be... A blessing if I as a human being could truly learn that. So when I accept my place in God's plan, that creates an attitude where I concentrate on what God wants me to do and I let Him worry about others. But then last, when I allow God's Word to dwell in me, that forms me into a teacher. It makes me a teacher. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. Wouldn't it be great if I could say, and I don't mean haughtily, but if each one of us could could honestly and humbly say to ourselves in the mirror, to the God of heaven, let those who fear you come to me. What Isaiah say, here am I, send me. What if we all had the, the, the confidence, Lord, send them to me. And I'll help them learn your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. What a great conclusion to that whole passage. Let those who fear turn to me. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 15 and 16, Paul said to Timothy, meditate, there's that word again, on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing that, you'll save yourself. Did I leave part of it out? Save both yourself and those who hear you. So, do you know, have you ever thought about that? There is an automatic, or there is a necessary inference in there. If he says to Timothy that you meditate on these things, you spend time and let the Word of God grow within you so that people who watch you, people who know you, people who see you will see how you progress. And also, that you continue in these things and doing that you'll save yourself and you'll save those who hear you. It's absolutely imperative then for that verse to be true that somebody is hearing him. And there's only one way that anybody would ever hear 
anything Timothy had to say, and that would be what? I said that question wrong. Let me back up. I almost left it too easy. In order for somebody to hear Timothy, what's got to happen? Timothy's got to be talking. Timothy's got to be speaking. Timothy has to be sharing the word of God. And think about that. Didn't Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 that the things you've heard among many witnesses from me, commit those to others, faithful men, that they may what? Teach others. Okay, one more passage, and that's Acts 8 and verse 4. Now, when we go to Acts 8, those, they were scattered abroad, right? The persecution came on the church. Stephen had been killed, chapter 7. And Paul was consenting to that. And now Paul was taking liberties with the church. And they were scattered abroad. They. If you, if you back up and read from, from chapter, uh, back up into chapter 6 and 5 and 4, and even into 3 a little bit, and just start doing the numbers, the word they was definitely a plural word, wasn't it? A lot of people involved. They were scattered abroad, and they went everywhere, back to their home uh, regions, we presume. But they went everywhere preaching the gospel. I fear that we misunderstand. Uh, maybe misunderstand's not correct. That we misappreciate. Maybe we lack a little understanding of that passage. We don't let it soak in. The word preaching means what it says. Maybe it's our misunderstanding of the English word preaching. But that word literally or simply in the Greek means carrying the good news of the gospel. Carrying, uh, explaining, sharing, introducing to others what it is that is so important to you. And that's the idea. So they went everywhere. You do understand that that understanding doesn't mean that every time they got a call to go to a group, uh, in front of a group, and speak, then they did it. That's not what that passage says. It said they went, they went where they went doing what they were already doing. And what were they already doing? Talking about God's Word. Talking about the Jesus who was the risen Savior. And explaining to whomever starting right where they were. That's exactly what the Ethiopian or what uh, Philip did in just a few verses down. He started right there and explained to him, see, oh, no, 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 it says preach to him, Jesus. Well, I, I'm afraid that in some people's minds, we think that he stood up on the wagon wheel of the chariot and, and looked down at him and preached him a sermon. He didn't do that. He went up in there with him and he sat down and they opened the scrolls that he already had and they started talking about this Jesus. Now, when God's Word dwells in my heart, it's going to make me a teacher. And I say this with all the love that I can muster. We need to, we must, as the Lord's church, stop writing list of the ways that we cannot teach. Or maybe we should just write that list one time and wad it up and throw it away and forget it ever existed. And start thinking of ways that we can teach. Because when God's Word dwells within me, it makes me a teacher. And then that last verse, may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame.
So does God's Word form the components of my life? It should. Any questions or comments? Because I didn't do a very good job of that tonight. I don't do a very good job of that sometimes. I hope that you will read the next eight verses and that God will bless us too because it it takes us in a totally different direction as we look at that, uh, our lives with God's word in mind in the next eight verses. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you will go to the back, someone will help you with that at this time. Um, And there are a host of people who are on the sick list, and I hope that you will remember them. And Tommy Barragona uh, was not feeling well tonight. Uh, um, He's probably watching right now saying, I didn't tell him he could announce that. Uh, But uh, Sister Lynn said that his blood pressure dropped really low this morning during services, and he just hasn't felt well this afternoon. So keep him in your prayers. Um, Parents, if you'll go now and pick up your children... And I finished with 21 seconds left in the 45 minutes, which are allotted me.